Good morning, Mount family. Uh, my name is Jason Windsor. I'm one of the student pastors here at the Mount. I want to welcome those of you that are in the house, those of you that are joining us online. Uh, for those of you that like to follow along, we'll be coming out of primarily Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 5. It is Jesus' teaching about prayer, so I think it would be both irresponsible and remiss if we did not pray before we read Jesus' teaching on prayer. So let's go ahead and do that now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you for sending your son so that we could know you. We thank you for your teaching on prayer so that we could know you. Uh, We thank you for making us a family, and we thank you for loving us even when we don't deserve it. I ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit that your words resonate within us, forever transforming our hearts and minds and leading us to know you, know ourselves, and know this great mission that you've laid before us. We ask these things in your son's name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, if you're what I like to call a crafty Mount veteran and have been here for any length of time, you have heard the phrases Mount family or church family a virtually uncountable number of times. And the reason that is is because that's the language of our Bible. God is our father. You're my brothers and sisters. He's left an inheritance for us, right? These are all family words. We're a family. And like any family... Healthy communication is the cornerstone of the relationship. And some of this makes sense. Like you and I communicate in very familiar ways. It makes sense for me to ask you to go to a cup of coffee or to dinner or for us to talk on the phone. Communication between supernatural God and us is a little bit different than what we experience naturally. In fact, scripture is basically our history, right? It's how we were made a family. It's how our family was corrupted, and ultimately how our family would be restored, and it's kind of a collection of all the ways that God has communicated with his children throughout history, right? In the beginning, he walked directly with the first humans. Uh, He sent prophets. His glory passed in front of Moses. He's appeared in dreams. He sent Jesus. Ultimately, he gave us scripture. So there's a variety of communication styles that kind of come in and out as we trace our family history, but there's one communication style that we see all the way from Genesis chapter four all the way through scripture. God's children have always been able to pray have always been able to cry out to him and have always been able to call upon our dad. And this is a great method of communication because it supersedes all natural limitations, right? You can literally pray while doing anything, driving, walking, taking a test, in whatever weather, from whatever location you want, there is no limitation on that. Our God is never too busy to hear from us or asleep or uncaring. Prayer is a fantastic method of communication because it literally has no limits except what we put on it. And so before we dig into Jesus' teaching on prayer, I want us to be able to kind of see prayer as it was intended to be without the artificial limitations that we have put on it. So we're gonna walk through a couple of concepts first. And first is how we define prayer. Uh, If you've been in church for any length of time or know somebody who's been in church, you've probably heard prayer described as talking to God. Like most half-truths, there's a point of correctness and the rest is very dangerous. Half-truths are more dangerous than bald-faced lies. Prayer is not talking to God. Prayer is talking 
with God. You understand the difference, right? When you are talking to someone without any expectation of hearing them, you're not in a conversation, you are in a monologue, right? How many of your friends do you have that are very close to you that you go, man, I hope when I talk to them today, they don't listen to anything I have to say. I hope it's a one-sided monologue when we have lunch today. It's probably zero. And if you can't point out in your friend group who that person is, it may be you. <laughs> that's, that's a different sermon for a different day. But when we define prayer as talking to God, we're monologuing. When we define prayer as talking with God, we've now entered into a conversation, and you see the difference, because if we're simply talking to God, we're missing the best part of the conversation, him, right? His wisdom, his grace, his guidance, his conviction. We're missing his voice, which I would submit is the best, most valuable part of the conversation. Now, I don't wanna minimize your part, he finds us to be exceptionally important to the point where he calls us his children. But let us not put what we have to say on the same par with what our heavenly father has to say. His part of the conversation is infinitely important and when we pray with him, we come expectant to hear something from him and I can feel some of you bristling right now. I can feel some of it because we equate hearing voices with being insane right? Or even worse, I may be getting mystical with Christianity, saying that potentially supernatural God might speak to us, his servants. Well, I want to double and triple down on that. You do realize that the foundations of our family are supernatural, like a supernatural being spoke us into existence. And when we went away from him, supernatural Jesus came and walked this earth and then was raised from the dead supernaturally. At the very core of our faith in every aspect of our history, it is supernatural and that is fantastic because the word literally means superior to the natural right? It should be supernatural when we are communing with a supernatural God, and this happens throughout Scripture. I could keep you till next Thursday going through all the examples, but then you would hate me, and nobody wants that. So instead of talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Peter and Paul, we're going to go to one of the most pivotal moments in our family's history, the hour of Jesus' arrest is upon him, and he knows it. So he's gathered his most trusted disciples, and he's gone off into a garden, and this is what he says to them. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Going on a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not as I will, but what you will. So here's our savior. Sorrowed to the point of death. His words, not mine. Anxiety ridden, crushed under the burden of what he has been given. And what does he ask God for? He asks God for a way out. He says, all powerful God who loves me, 
Is there a way that this could pass? I know there's a way because you're all powerful God. You can do anything. This burden is great. I'm sorrowful. I'm anxiety ridden. I'm crushed under the pressure. Will you take this cup from me? But not as I will, but your will be done. Then he goes back to his disciples. They're asleep. He wakes them up. He goes and prays the same thing. He goes back to his disciples. They're still asleep. He gives up on them. He goes back over. He prays the same thing. The next time we see Jesus, he is not our anxiety-ridden savior. The next time we see Jesus, he's a little bit scary. He says, get up. The hour has come. Don't you know my time is to be betrayed? Let's go meet this fate. That's, a, that's about what he says. Let's go. I know what's coming. I knew what coming before. I still know what's coming now. Let's go meet that fate. One of his disciples cuts a guy's ear off, a servant of the high priest. He rebukes him. He said, are you trying to stop me from drinking the cup that my father has given me? No. Don't you know that I could have 12 legions of angels come stop this right now? But this is God's will. So we're going that way. I would submit to you that he asked God for an answer and he got it. And not only did he get the answer confirmed in his spirit, he got the strength, he got the wisdom, and potentially the most important part, the willingness, right? Because we don't see a Jesus that is now crushed under the weight of the great burden that he has to bear. We now see a Jesus walking boldly, telling people what to do, giving himself willingly, saying, I could stop this if I wanted to, but not my will, but his be done brings us to our fullest definition of prayer. The prayer in its fullest is talking with God for the purpose of aligning our will with his. Ladies and gentlemen, prayer is a transformative experience. It is more than simply a conversation like you and I would have over coffee. It is inviting the all-powerful, all-loving creator of the universe into our lives for the purpose of transforming our hearts and our minds. It is a privilege that he gives his children for the purpose of aligning our will with his. That's so much more than just a laundry list of what we would like from him. It's so much more than talking to him but receiving the most important parts of our faith from him. And with this in mind and holding those ideas, let's dig into what he says about prayer. In Matthew chapter six, verse five, he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, if you are a parent, I'm willing to bet you read that with a slightly different tone. Because I would, like, I would invite you to read that last line. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus spoke in sarcasm. But I'm saying that as a parent, I've given my kid a choice and I've said, you can do this or you can do what you know you're supposed to do. Right? That's what this is. He said, when he says you have received your reward, he is mocking this style of prayer. He's saying, great, you name dropped me. You got out in the street where people could see you and you made a big deal about your prayer so everyone would look at you and go, wow, he's so awesome. 
man, I wish I was like him and as close to God as him. And oh, if only I was as spiritual as her, it would be amazing. And he says, you've received your reward. The praise of men, which as we all know, has an expiration date of roughly 15 minutes. The same people that sing your praises on Wednesday hate you on Thursday. What he's saying is congratulations, you've received a reward, which is no reward. But he follows that teaching up, saying, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In this example, he gives someone who has carved out time out of his or her day to hear from the creator, right? It's not performative. It's not for an audience. It's not for the purpose of making me glorified. It's for the purpose of getting alone and getting quiet so you can hear God's voice. Our time is valuable. Everybody has the same 24 hours in the day. How do we determine what we do with that day? We choose whatever's most valuable. You know how I know? Because when someone asks you to do something you don't want to do, you don't just tell them, yeah, I don't want to do that. You tell them, oh man, I don't have time. I don't have time. I, I find what you're saying to me really important and I would really love to connect with you and hear what you have to say. Ah, oh, man, but my 24 hours are spoken for. Oh, man, what a shame. And I know that as I've spoke, some of you, I've just heaped burdens on you. I've just been, every, every syllable that I've said, I've just been heaping guilt and I've just been heaping burdens on you and that's not what I want you to hear. That's not what I want you to leave today with because some of you are going, I pray, I pray all the time and I've never heard God's voice. I've never heard this voice that you're saying is transformative and I've never had this experience. What am I doing wrong? And I'm gonna speak out of both sides of my mouth. Maybe nothing, maybe nothing. Our God is a lot smarter than us. His ways are not our ways. He shows up when his timing is perfect. He gives when the timing is perfect. I don't know when he will show up for you, but I know that he will. How do I know that? It comes directly out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Seek and you shall find. That simple, keep seeking. If you passionately pursue God's voice, I promise you on his authority, not mine, you will be communicated with. You will hear his voice. The author of Proverbs, by the power of the Holy Spirit, says if you cry out for wisdom, if you search for it as silver and gold, then you will find the fear of the Lord and understand the knowledge of God. That's a promise. If you seek it, you will find it. If you carve out time to find it, it will come to you. Now here's the other side. If you spent 14 hours on your favorite streaming service this week and 14 minutes praying to God, you found exactly what you looked for. You found a lot of worldly wisdom and you found a lot of entertainment value and you found a lot of stuff, but you didn't find the voice of God. You know why? You weren't looking for it. Life is funny like that. 
we generally find what we're searching for. We cannot expect to not look for something and then find it, although don't, I'm not putting limitations on God. Sometimes he will bust your door in. But like a good guest, he would like to be invited sometimes too. And that's what we see in this teaching on prayer is we see one person standing in the street not inviting God at all, taking the praise of men as his or her reward, and another person carving out time to hear God's voice and enter into his or her existence. Now, can God speak to either? Absolutely, he's God. But which one has put him or herself in a better position to hear God's voice? Now, I'm not claiming you need to be in a closet or the street, hands held high, knees down low. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the position of the heart. Which one of these individuals has positioned his or her heart to hear God's voice? The answer is very simple. Jesus continues. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So Jesus gives us an example of somebody praying and basically trying to manipulate God into action. Don't babble on. Don't search for the right phonetic arrangement. You don't have to find the right position. Say the right words. There's no magical incantation. And you know why they feel this way. They have a gross misrepresentation of who God is. We don't manipulate God into action. God acts on our behalf out of compassion and love. We don't have to come to him with the right words or the right whatever. He says in the very next verse, don't be like them. Your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. Don't put on the pretense and come. You don't have to worry about what you say. There's another scripture that says when you're silent, the spirit will pray on your behalf. You don't have to worry about that stuff. He says, just come. That word father right there is not an accident. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. We know this truth. We tell this truth to our children. This is a common truth, but we don't accept that truth for ourselves. I, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. This is a truth that I struggle with because I know how many times I've walked away from God. I know how many times I've been faithless. And when I do that, just like the two in the garden, when they walked away from God, they went and hid, my natural tendency is to hide from God as well. My natural tendency is to no longer go to him confidently as a tender and loving father. My natural tendency is to believe the lie Jesus does not want to hear from. And I know some of you believe that too. It's something that we struggle with because we don't understand who he really is. But it's a lie built to separate us from our good dad. You don't believe me? Read any of the four crucifixion accounts. Read any of them. He did not spare his son to be sent down here to be tortured and brutally murdered just so we would walk away from him. You realize he did that and he knew some of us would actually reject him that would choose not to speak to him, and he still did it anyway. We can approach boldly. We can approach with confidence, knowing that he did not even spare his son 
on the chance that you and I would come and communicate with him. We are a people that needs to be no longer bound by that lie. We are not surprising God when we show up with dirty hands. He knew those hands were filthy before he sent his son. We need to take that burden off ourselves and understand that approaching our heavenly father, he already knows and already loves and is willing to speak with us even in the midst of our rebellion. With this in mind, because those four scriptures are about the posture of your heart and who God is as a dad, he launches into probably his most famous uh, passage of teaching on prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer, and I'm sure you've heard it before, and we're gonna walk through it. He tells us in verse nine, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. This is one of my favorite lines. Because to me, it perfectly encompasses both of the ideas that form our foundational relationship with God. First two words, our Father, right? God is a good dad. I know for some people that's tough to relate to, but our dad is good. Father's in the room. How many of you fed your kids because the law said you had to? Probably none. If you are one, let's just have a chat after service today. Let's just, just me and you, let's just talk. Right, But most of you fed your kids because you like them sometimes and love them all the time. Right? Nobody had to tell you. They didn't have to send an officer to your house to make sure your kid had food. You love your kid. Our dad loves us too. He's our dad. He made us a family. Our father. But it goes on. It says, may your name be kept holy Holy, set apart for God, holy, perfect, holy without blemish. He's our dad, and we get to lovingly approach our dad. But our dad also has the power to speak things into existence. Our dad also hung the stars. Like, our dad is a really big deal. And when we come into the presence of our dad, the natural response is, whoa. Because he is all-powerful, all-loving God. And this line holds both of those in perfect concert. Our tender, loving father that desires a relationship with us, also our tender, loving father that created everything that we see. Our tender, loving father that judges wrong correctly, wholly perfectly forms the foundation of our relationship that through Jesus Christ, we get to approach a dad and we don't get to experience his terrible wrath because we get to call him dad. He goes on. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If that sounds like it's from the garden, it's because it is. That's the invitation, right? We see who you are, Dad. We know that you love us. We know that you're all-powerful, God. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. I'm inviting you right now to transform my heart, transform my mind, so that I can go out into this world and partner with you in spreading the gospel, so that I can partner with you in expanding your kingdom. This is an invitation for life change, because that's what prayer is. 
Prayer is an invitation to have your minds and hearts transformed, to have your will aligned with him, to see what he sees, to hear what he hears, to love what he loves, and to take that out into the world. So a world starving of thirst can look at it and go, I want some of that. What is it that you have? It's an invitation for a holy God to speak into our lives and grant his guidance and his wisdom and his conviction and his courage. He continues, give us today the food that we need. This is another one of my favorite lines. I'm gonna say that by every line, by the way. Um, give us today the food that we need. This is a reminder. Our dependence on God is daily. He gave me these hands that I earn my living, but he also makes these hands work. He gives me the breath that empowers me to experience this day, and it is a gift from him, and not to be taken for granted. I think one of the most powerful words in that is today. Sometimes we look at our bank accounts or we look at something else and we say, man, what's going on here? Why is this not three years in advance? Why am I not looking five years in advance? Because you know when most people cry out to God, right? It's when we're at the end of ourselves. If you got enough money to make it in the bank for three years, you're probably not crying out to God a whole lot. And crying out to him and receiving what he has is better than your money in the bank. Thankfully, he gives us what we need today so that we can stay dependent on him, so that we can continue to go to him and go, please speak into my life because I'm at the end of myself. Because that's usually when we throw up those prayers, man, is after we've exhausted all of our resources, all of our stuff, all of our wisdom, we come to the end and we go, I can't solve this. And God goes, right. I've been telling you that for years. Thanks for showing up. So maybe it's a blessing he gives us what we need today. Maybe Jesus is teaching us right here Pray for what you need today so you stay reliant on God. And this is usually where this teaching ends. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, I ain't calling nobody out, but we could put a nice bow on this bad boy right now. I could redefine prayer as talking with God for the purpose of aligning our will with his. We could pray it out. They could sing a good song and you guys would be first in line at lunch and that is a good Sunday. But since Jesus teaches more, we should probably read more. So here we go. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. That is not one of my favorite lines. So we'll read it again. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I'm really comfortable with the Our Father stuff. I'm exceptionally comfortable with our dad being all-powerful and all-knowing. And I even like the stuff about inviting him in and being transformed and relying on him daily. I like all of that. I'm comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with this line. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't care what I'm comfortable with and is willing to teach me even so. But if you look at that, that as makes this a conditional statement. And that conditional statement is scary. But it's also true. Think about this. If you punch my kid in the face, our relationship changes. How you treat my children affects our relationship 
can we expect our heavenly father to be any different? We, as a forgiven people, forgiveness is expected, not requested. It is an expectation that a people that has been forgiven will extend that same forgiveness. Now, don't hear in this that God doesn't love you, but you will experience his discipline, which is an extension of his love. Not as comfortable, but nonetheless, an extension of his love. Now, we're gonna, this is a broad concept that has many, many scriptures to go through. We're not gonna hit that this Sunday, but on a Sunday in October, we're gonna walk through the scriptures on forgiveness, and you're gonna be even more uncomfortable than you are right now, I promise you that, so I'm not telling you which day that is. (laughs) But we're gonna walk through those scriptures, but I wanna highlight, so that we can dig in on this, one of the most important scriptures I feel that he teaches about forgiveness, it comes from a parable that he teaches in Matthew 18. There's a king who is obviously representative of God, and there's a servant that owes this king an amount of money that would be hard for me to translate into amount right now that we could understand. It is an amount of money that he could never pay off, even in several lifetimes. He stands before the king, and the king says, you know what? I forgive you your debt. You and I are good. You go about your business. Your debt is washed away. This man leaves the king's chamber. He finds somebody that owes him a fraction, just a small bit of what he owed the king, and he berates that man. He demands payment to the point where he actually assaults that man and then throws that man in prison. Well, the king hears of this, and this is the king's response. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's a scripture from Jesus' mouth. And I say all that just to say how important it is that we stop viewing prayer as talking to God and start viewing prayer as speaking with God for the alignments of our mind and will with his because that's really hard. Our natural bent is to not forgive. It is going to take us supernatural intervention if we are going to forgive the way that God asks us to forgive. Now, don't hear reconciliation, because that's a different message. Forgiveness is unilateral. Reconciliation takes two people. You can forgive somebody without ever having a conversation with them. You cannot reconcile with somebody without ever having a conversation with them. But forgiveness requires you, and probably a little bit more than you. It will require a supernatural exchange as God transforms our hearts and our minds to look more like his. But these scriptures lead us to believe that this is required if we are to avoid his loving discipline. And that's just good dad stuff, right? If our kids are doing something that's gonna hurt them or if our kids are doing something that's morally bankrupt, we gotta step in. We gotta handle business so that we can restore the relationship. He finishes with another one of my favorite lines. He says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
This holds two ideas. He says, don't let us think that that thing that we're tempted to do, that thing we're tempted to walk off and go towards instead of going towards you is anywhere near as good as you. Give us eyes that see that sin is death. Sin is not that really, really, really fun thing that Christians don't get to do. Sin is death. Let us see the temptation for what it is. Let us see that it's killing our relationships. Let us see that it's killing our marriages. Let us see that it's killing our testimony. Let us see that it's killing our relationship with you and turn from it. Give us eyes that see what you see so that we can battle the flesh through the transformation of our hearts and minds that we get from prayer with you. And then he goes to the next line and said, rescue us from the evil one because even when we turn from temptation, there is still an adversary that seeks to separate us from our loving father. And he's a supernatural adversary, but we have a supernatural protector. And we humbly ask our supernatural protector to fight our supernatural battles. Because you realize like when the Bible uses words like God fights, it's semi-metaphorically, right? Because God doesn't actually fight. He shows up and people surrender. Like, it, it ain't a fight. Like that's one of the concepts we have of God is like, so God, we're, our power's here. Satan's maybe like here. and God, No. God doesn't actually fight. He decrees. And so we say protect us from the evil one. And he finishes this prayer with that, just saying, Dad, give us eyes that see and protect us from the evil one that seeks to separate us from you. Good prayer. In retrospect, we see that this entire teaching on prayer is all about how we posture our heart towards God. It's all about coming to God not simply with a laundry list of desires, which he says to do that. He says to cast your cares on him because he cares for you, but not to end there. But these prayers are an invitation to him to enter in. It starts with a proper concept of a good dad who wants to hear from us, but also inspires wonder and worship. It continues with a humble heart that is completely reliant on God to give us our daily bread, to give us what we need to survive the day, and an expectant heart that he will show up and transform our hearts and our minds. This gives us a broad and robust view of prayer that can change our lives forever because you cannot come into the presence of the living God and emerge the same. You cannot encounter the author of creation and leave unchanged. That's the transformative aspect of prayer that we leave on the table when we talk to God instead of speaking with God. It's the most important part. It's the part that will allow us to be the light in the world that he's requested us to be. Oh man, I know we love stuff like I claim it in Jesus' name. Well, you better make sure he claimed it first. You can claim it as long as he's already claimed it. Otherwise, you're acting like God. And God doesn't like that. 
He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you see, that's what's in this prayer. Humbly, but expectantly. With reverence, but also with courage, because we have a good dad. Through Jesus Christ, we can come boldly into that throne room, knowing that this is the most awesome power that will ever exist. And knowing we get to enjoy that for eternity. So this is what we need to do as a family this week. This is what we need to do as people who have the Holy Spirit in us. We need to carve out some time to hear from our Father. This may get awkward. It may need practice. Guys, we're gonna be flexing some muscles this week that quite honestly, we've probably never used. And that can feel weird. But I promise you, anything worth doing or worthwhile takes practice. So just because it's awkward, we don't abandon it. You also might need some help because anything worth doing usually requires help too. The big jobs are the best jobs and generally we can't lift that load alone and we'd love to help you. We're gonna be putting prompts on different social media avenues and on our website to continue the conversation and just guide us into listening. If you need them, they're there for you, great. You don't need them, that's cool too. But I would encourage you either way to not leave the best part of this supernatural exchange on the table. To expectantly carve out time to approach your father to be transformed and see what he sees and hear what he hears. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a good God. We thank you that as many times as we've walked away, you take us back. We thank you for Jesus teaching on prayer so that it cannot be the small thing that we've made it, but the life-changing experience that you intended it to be. We love you, but we're a misguided people. We love you, but we're easily distracted. We love you. Give us that taste of your presence, because as the psalmist says, we can taste that the Lord is good and we want some more so that we'll return and be forever transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in your son's name, amen.